Our God is a missionary God, and we are His missionary people. You're listening to The Scent Life, the official podcast of the Center for Great Commission Studies at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. One of the common phrases we hear around the church is the need to call out the called, especially as it relates to those who are serving in professional ministry, Christian ministry, or serving overseas. But what about caring for those that are called? Today we kick off a series uh, on what it takes for the local church, not just to call out those who God is calling to the mission field, but caring for those as they serve. Thanks for joining us on The Scent Life. Hey, welcome back into the studio, Dr. Anna Dobb, for our stories of the scent ones. Anna, what's going on? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. How's the semester? I think the semester's going really well. Super, super. Glad to hear it. Anna comes in each week and talks with us about uh, somebody from around the world or in history uh, who's involved in, in God's mission. Anna, talk to us this week. Tell us a good story. Okay. As I've been doing. I'm going to bring up a woman that I think most people don't know. Very good. Um, Today we're going to talk about Mary Webb. Okay. Do you know Mary Webb? I don't know Mary Webb, I don't think. Okay. So Mary Webb was most likely the founder of the first women's missionary society in the U.S. Is that right? It's right. Well, let's hear it. So she had lost her father and had no brothers in a time when uh, it's really difficult for a woman uh, to make her own way. Okay. To make it even complicated, even more complicated, she's in a wheelchair. Wow. So she'd actually gotten sick as a child okay. and uh, from that sickness had, had never recovered wow. and uh, was in a wheelchair the rest of her life. But they said that uh, she did a thousand activities from that wheelchair. Mm. And what she was most known for was her great organizational skills. So in October 9th, 1800, Mary Webb forms the Boston Female Society for Missionary Purposes. Wow. Uh, during the time of William Carey, uh, this that's so that just to set the stage. This is during the time of William Carey, that's right. um, and she uh, kind of creates this society and encourages women to. And this I'm going to quote from a, a book by um, uh, Reed Trulson that that they were encouraged to pray for and support the British Baptist Mission in India as well as outreach to the Native American nations. Wow! Okay. And so um, this is a society in the United States mm-hmm. that's trying to support British Baptists work okay. in India and then also recognizing we need to support uh, the, the work in the indigen- among the indigenous peoples around us. Very good. Um, now, concerning Mary Webb and her society, R. Pierce Beaver states, it's not an exaggeration to assert that the hundreds of thousands of later women's missionary societies, aid societies and guilds on the one hand, and the national denomination and interdenominational women's societies on the other all find their origin in the heart, mind, will, prayer, and action of an invalid who went about Boston in her green base chair. Oh, my goodness. Isn't that crazy? What a statement. That's a, that's a crazy statement to me. Right. Um, and, and I, you know, I don't know. I, mm-hmm. I, don't, there's, I don't think there's enough evidence to be able to say for sure that, that's, that they all find their, their sure. beginning there. But, but she made such an impact mm-hmm. on changing the way that women thought about missions okay. uh, by forming this society. And I think that's a, a really important um, person that we, we we just don't know about, right. um, and especially to think about how much she overcomes mm. um, in a time where I'm, I'm sure uh, her society did not see her as a, as, as a valuable contributor, probably. Right. 
Um, but for her to say, no, God has put this passion in my heart. I'm going to, I'm going to, to gather women. I'm going to use these organizational skills that are gift from the Lord um, for his mission. I think it's just a beautiful story. Sure. And you think about how many of our churches have a women's missionary union or women's missionary organization in their church today. It's just kind of common thought, right? Our church has a women's mission organization, the Southern Baptist Convention, our women's missionary union, WMU. Uh, all of this has to start somewhere. And if it all runs back to this one woman in a wheelchair says, hey, I think I've got a, an, an idea, and just see the legacy, the long shadow uh, that someone can have just because they want to be obedient to the Lord and, and ca- God's mission captures their heart and their imagination. Yes. May God raise up many other Mary Webbs. Amen. Amen to that. Anna, thanks a ton for coming and letting us know about Mary Webb. You're welcome. Great story. Hey, Keelan. Hey, Scott. How are things going? Good, good. How are you? I'm good. Hey, man, so we talk a lot about, um, you know, being called to missions, and the theme this season has dealt with mobilization, which really is this connection between the local church and its members joining God on the mission field. And as we've thought through and talked about some of those, uh, it's come to our attention that there's another step in this element of mobilization. Uh, yeah, that's exactly right. So I'm really excited about where we're headed for the next, I think, four weeks is I what we have, right. I think that's right. have on the docket for this one. So when it comes to mobilization, we have all this conversation about where we're going to find the next missionary, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's this question of what we do with them when we find them. Mm-hmm. And that's a really important question. Right. And one of the things we want to do with this season is wed those two topics together. There's the question of missionary care, mm-hmm. and there's the question of mobilization. But those don't need to be pitted against one another. Instead, right. we need to figure out how those two conversations go together. No, that's exactly right. doesn't do us any good to spend the effort and the money and the energy uh, raising up, discipling, training, equipping uh, and sending, paying for those that are on the field. And then when they run into trouble or feel abandoned on the field, they come home or just gut it out and ministry is ineffective uh, as they serve. And so we really see the, the role of the church serving and caring, ministering long-term, caring for uh, our sent ones as a key part of mobilization. It extends the longevity of their ministry. It extends the success of their ministry. And then it means that we're able to impact and reach more people that way. Yeah, that's exactly right. I, if we're not careful when it comes to the question of sending, if we don't think about that issue of caring well, what we wind up with are missionaries who burn out on us. Right. And when a missionary burns out, we have to find another missionary to replace them. That's the kind of crass, practical way to talk about it. Uh, But for those of us who are concerned about the souls, the well-being, the shepherding of those that have been sent as well, we need to realize that we're asking people very often to go into extremely dire circumstances, uh, sacrifice a lot to go, and how do we take care of and steward that responsibility with those people well? And as we do it, we see that it actually is going to aid our our efforts in mobilizing more. That's right. So why don't we do this? Why don't we take a few minutes and just define a couple of terms? So first, we want to deal with mobilization. So the theme of the the semester, the theme of the season, is on mobilizing uh, those for the field. What do we have in mind when we uh, emphasize the fact that the church has a responsibility, a great commission responsibility for mobilization to the mission field? 
Yeah, uh, perhaps an easy place to start, because we tend to start here frequently when it comes to the missions conversation. Uh, let's look at William Carey and okay. what he was doing in, in inquiry, right? Like We go all the way back maybe to the beginning of the modern missions movement here, and a primary purpose of his book was essentially saying, hey, everybody, the Great Commission still applies to us, right? right? So there's this understanding that we've developed, and we all embrace uh, as Southern Baptists, that the issue of going to the nations in order to make disciples of the nations is an every member ministry of the church. Every church is to be involved in that. It's core and central to the purpose of the church, and it is our responsibility today, just like it was uh, for those first disciples that Jesus was talking to when he said it, to go and do that. Well, now, if that's the case, those of us who are in leadership in our churches, mm -hmm. it is our responsibility to see those that God has given us for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry— mm -hmm. Uh, to see that responsibility as a way to identify and equip those that we would send into that task. And that's really what we're getting at when we talk about mobilization. Yeah, that's right. You know, you mentioned William Carey, and then we talk about his uh, his sermon that kind of kicked off the uh, uh, the modern missionary movement. And really the, the longer title of his of his sermon was an inquiry into the obligation of Christians to use means— for the conversion of the heathen. In other words, he was really investigating this idea that Christians had a responsibility, his word, an obligation right. to do something. He was in this theological debate in England over hyper-Calvinism and Calvinism and uh, this notion that if God wanted to save the nations, God would do it himself. In fact, one of the big critiques at the end of his sermon was when a guy stood up and said, young man, if God wants to convert the heathen, he'll do it without my help or yours. Yes. <laughs> and uh, uh, that guy is known as the guy who stood up in the back of the room, and William Carey is known as the father of modern missions. So Correct. I guess you can choose which team you want to be on. That's exactly right, yeah. But, but you know, the idea that Carey was advocating was that Christians have an obligation because of the Great Commission, an obligation to use means, in other words, to do something. And we think about our local church, and we think about the resources in our church, the human resources, the financial resources, the talent base that's in our church, then what we have is this, this pool and an obligation to do something. And so mobilization is about calling out people who are in our congregations to say to them, hey, you have a role in God's Great Commission. God's mission is that the nations would hear about him, that people would worship him, that people would be saved. And every church and every member has an obligation to ask the question, what are my means for doing that? And as we connect and disciple and train people, this is what we mean by mobilization. So if that's mobilization, so here's kind of question one, what is mobilization? But the next term we need to define, the next question, I guess, is what is missionary care? Right. Uh, the language is something I think we're hearing more of, hopefully. I right. feel like we are. I'm optimistic about this. Right. But the idea of caring for those we've sent, I'm seeing it show up more and more in conversation. Uh, so what do we mean by that, Scott? Let's unpack that term for a bit. Yeah. You know, the thing is that when we, uh, and you alluded to it earlier, when we send missionaries uh, into uh, a, a mission setting, they, there are several things that happen. First, missionaries are normal people. And normal people live in a broken world, and we face normal people problems. That is that people get sick, families are hurt, stress in a marriage, difficulty with children. All of these things take place. But our missionaries are encountering these normal people problems in places that for them are not normal. And so that often heightens the stress, heightens the severity 
of situations that take place overseas. I mean, less than I, when we were overseas, a simple issue like a, a stomach issue or any other medical, all of a sudden there's this crisis. Does your insurance work? And uh, can you can you pay? And what about travel and transportation and everything that hits? All of a sudden things get more complicated when you're in that setting. The second thing is missionaries don't just face normal people problems in difficult places. They place unique types of problems because of the places they're in. That's right. uh, we, I, I remind churches regularly, when we place somebody in a leadership position, then we almost raise a flag at the attention of our enemy and say, you see this one right here? If you'll shoot at him or you'll shoot at her, then you'll knock a bunch of people down. And so we place them in the position of spiritual warfare, spiritual attack, and the other issues that go with that begin to, to take place. Not to mention that living in a, in, a, in a difficult setting is often difficult, and that creates a different level of stress. So what do we do about it? Well, we could say, well, you volunteered for this job. Uh, you know, God called you. God will take care of you. We could consider it almost like, you know, collateral damage. Well, somebody has to suffer so that the, the mission can advance. Or we can take the same responsibility that we had when we were thinking about calling and say, how do we care for those who we've sent out? How do we care for those that we've placed in harm's way or placed in a situation where there's, a, again, a, a, an everyman problem in a not everyman location. Yeah. Hearing you talk reminds me of a previous episode we just did with mm -hmm. Carol yeah. about what it's like to be a missionary right. on the field and some of the unique pressures that exist right. there. Uh, and I can remember when I was on the field in West Africa, like I've got a laundry list of right. things that things that should have been really simple, uh, like how do I get cash out of the bank? Mm -hmm. Well, you just go to the ATM. Well, not if you live in a country where there isn't an ATM in That's the right. entire country, right? right? So things that seem simple become really difficult, really right. challenging and high stress. And one of the things that is, I think, important for us to realize when it comes to the idea of missionary support Right? We talk a lot about support. Right. So let's support our missionaries. And, and we do so through the cooperative program. We do so through funding and financing the work of missions. Uh, and that's all valuable. Mm -hmm. I think just making a missionary support conversation one about finances is an anemic definition of support, though. Very thin. It can't just be about money. Right. It has to also be about stewarding and shepherding the souls of those that we're sending and, right. and the care for their well-being. Yeah. You know, the fact of the matter is when you send someone overseas from your church, they don't stop being part of your body. That's right. You know, uh, they, are, um, they are still part of your body. And we still, as a church, the elders, the pastors, uh, those in ministry position in the church still carry this responsibility of caring for their souls, watching out for, uh, watching out for them in some way. So we can't let this out-of-sight, out-of-mind mentality happen when we think about our missionaries. And so care is part of mobilization because we raise them up, we train them, we send them, and then the care is an extension of this in Carey, in William Carey's words, an obligation to use means for the conversion of the heathen. We're doing something about the ministry. Now, what, what, what happens is, you, you mentioned an ATM. It's not that the church, you know, builds an ATM machine and sends it right. to, to where uh, the missionaries are, but it's an acknowledgement of a unique level of stress and often mm -hmm. different types of issues that are, that are arising, and then saying, how do we care 
specifically for our sent ones so that their ministry can be successful and so they can stay long-term. In the same way that many churches are looking at uh, at their congregation during prayer request time and think, okay, who's in the hospital, who's having surgery, whose families are struggling, and the church would reach out and do something for that individual, what are we doing for our missionaries? Do we know what their concerns and needs are? Or we have a, do we have a means for listening that, like we have a prayer meeting or a prayer list in our church? If not, we need to figure out how to know what's going on. And then what do we do proactively in order to care for those that we've sent. Yeah, and it's it's remarkable that I think we're in a situation now where there are a number of means that avail themselves for this particular thing that we didn't have mm-hmm. in the past. It's become, in some sense, easier than ever and harder than ever right. to be a missionary. Um, the world is closing off in many places, and it's often harder to be in a space without, you know, say the the government of that place knowing you're there uh, or something to that effect. The flip side of that, though, is the death of distance with the internet and the ability for us to video and communicate with people has really opened up opportunities for a continued connection uh, and continued conversation and continued prayer and and relationship with those that we've sent. And so what does it mean for the church to lean into some of these kind of things? That's what we want to talk about for the next several weeks. Yeah, that's part of where we are in this mini-series. We're going to have interviews with several different people. Uh, We're going to unpack some ideas of what it takes to care for long-term those that we've sent overseas. In this episode, really, we're trying to raise the the awareness that this is a real need, no matter who you are, right? If you're a missionary overseas and you're listening to our podcast— What's your role is to let your local church know that you have a need, to find a way to connect with your church, to say, hey, this is me, this is what's going on. No one uh, should expect, and the missionary should be the first person to not expect, that you're living in a situation where you have no issues, no problems, no, uh, no needs. If that's the way you're portraying yourself, you're setting yourself up for disaster. So find a way to say, hey, this is me. I have some needs. I have some need to care. On the other end, we're talking to pastors of the church, ministry leaders, mission pastors of the church to say, hey, think about those that you're sending overseas. Think about those who've gone out from your, from your body and ask, how do we proactively know about the needs, know about what's taking place, and how do we do some things that that cares for those that we've sent. Now, I want to address a third group of people, and that's those, if you're in a church and you say, well, man, we've never sent anybody overseas. We've not sent North American church planters. We've not sent any international missionaries. Does that mean that we're released from this care uh, element until we can get to the mobilization? And I think the answer to that is a definite no. I think that there are plenty of people overseas who are from churches who, for whatever reason, aren't caring. And and you as a church can find a way through your state convention, uh, through the International Mission Board, to say, we'd like to set up an advocacy or care ministry from our church to begin to care for missionaries who are serving overseas. Take that as a proactive step and see if God will use that to start raising people up from your church who all of a sudden have a heart for the missionary and a heart for the field. Yeah, I really appreciate the fact that you brought up that aspect of this as well. So we, by virtue of being Southern Baptist, have really easy access for any church in our convention uh, to missionaries that they could care for. So you may find yourself among that majority of churches that don't actually have a missionary on the field right now or a church planter that they've recently sent out. If that's you and you're saying, 
man, we, we need to be involved. Like there are missions agencies that we've got as, as a denomination that you can reach out to and say, hey, we want to begin caring for. And as you do that, it does, it creates a relationship, a new relationship for your church that will start leaning you into being a part of the Great Commission in that way. And I think that's a tremendous step in the right direction for a church. Uh, so real quick, before we land the plane on this episode, so we've got two or three more weeks coming, and I'll give you all, give you all kind of a high-fly view of what we've got. Next week, we're going to be talking with John Bart. Tusca. Uh, he's going to be explaining to us a particular ministry that they established in their local church uh, to do this kind of work. After that, Scott and I are going to take a run at helping churches think through how anybody could set up this kind of ministry in any size church. And finally, we're going to hear from Ryan Martin a few weeks out from now uh, on this issue of Caring Well. He's wrote a book that has recently come out, and I'm real excited about getting that in the hands of some people. So you've got two or three weeks that are coming up uh, concerning the topic. We're very excited about where this is headed, and we hope that you'll be joining us for it. Right. Amen. It'll be a great opportunity. And again, we, we have talked about the, uh, the obligation that we have for mobilization, and we don't want to forget in that the obligation for care. Care is as part as much a part of missionary mobilization as anything else is. And so we want you to lean in over the next couple of weeks as we talk about care for those that we've sent, care for our sent out ones, and let's learn and grow together uh, to do a better job uh, working with and caring for those that God has sent. So thanks a ton for uh, tuning in for this episode, and we look forward to hearing from you and you hearing from us over the next several weeks. Hey, welcome back. We're super excited again to have Dr. George Robinson with us uh, as he takes us from the ivory tower into the street. So, George, what you got for us this week? Yeah, so this season we're focusing in on what it means to live like a missionary, and we're drawing from the International Mission Board's concept of the core missionary task. It's really a biblical concept right. that if you're going to live like a missionary, you've got to have an entry strategy, and then you've got to have an evangelism strategy a disciple-making strategy, a gathering strategy, leadership, partnership, and, de and development, and then exit. Yeah. And so this week we're talking about another uh, evangelism strategy. Last Great. time we talked through sharing your story. This week we're going to talk through sharing God's story. Okay. Yeah, so when I lived in South Asia um, and, and have worked all over South Asia— in all of those different locations, I, the evangelism training that I got back here in the States and even when I was in seminary didn't play out too well in those <laughs> contexts. It wasn't contextually relevant. And, you know, a lot of times the evangelism tools that we use make assumptions right. that you can't ne necessarily carry across cultures. And so one of the things that I found out was I could not start by start a conversation by saying, hey, Jesus loves you or God loves you. Right. It really didn't make sense to people, especially in the Islamic context where um, they did not believe that Jesus was actually crucified. So right. what I had to do is I had to put the cross of Christ in the context of the whole storyline of Scripture. Now, it's not a, a new concept to talk through chronological Bible storying. There are yep. a lot of people who've written extensively on that, and we talk through story sets. But what I want to train students to do is to share God's story in a relevant way, in mm. a, a rather short and simple uh, reproducible format. And so 
I use um, 10 points of the story in order to communicate that. And okay. so we tell the story of creation, and the three things that I want to emphasize in the story of creation is God, mm-hmm. creation, and harmony. The story begins with God, mm-hmm. and and the Bible tells us that God is good and that God is all-powerful and, and all of these different character traits. I want to lay out the character of God, and then I want to talk about how God created everything mm-hmm. for a purpose— and that purpose was that it would, um, uh, that that everything would flourish and be in right relationship to him, and he culminated his creation by making man and woman in his image to steward right. God's creation through worship and obedience. Okay. And then the third part of that is harmony. Mm-hmm. When everything is in right relationship to God. Uh, then everything is harmonious. And so that leads us to the question, if that's the true story of the whole world, then what went wrong? Yeah, what's broken? And so the next aspect of that is telling the story of the fall, Mm -hmm. and there are three points to that. Um, Disobedience, consequence, and need. Mm -hmm. And so disobedience, we think about how God made a gave one command, one prohibition to the man and the woman there in Mm -hmm. Genesis chapter 2, and in Genesis chapter 3, we find them disobeying that one command. Right. Disobedience always has a consequence, and I think through there in Genesis 3 how the man and the woman, even before God comes into the garden um, uh, in, in order to expose their sin, they're already covering their nakedness with fig leaves. And I talk about how fig leaves are... Uh, like modern-day religion, like man-made religion, that we try to fix ourselves, try to cover up what we've done wrong, but we know something's wrong. That's a consequence. Mm. And God gives those consequences to the man and the woman uh, by giving a curse not only to them, but also to the whole earth through them. And then that leads us in a place of desperate need. We Mm. can't fix ourselves. So So far, we've got creation, that's God, creation, harmony, then the fall, that's disobedience, consequence, and need, and then the next part of the story is the rescue. Hmm. And so with that, we've only got two points, uh, God's promise made and God's promise kept. And so the promise made is the rest of the Old Testament from Genesis 3.15 onward Hmm. is a long, detailed answer to a very short and simple question. Who is the promised rescuer? Because God comes in and says, I'm going to send someone who's going to crush the head of the serpent. Uh, He's going to strike his heel, but his head will be Hmm. crushed. And so that promise unfolds through the whole Old Testament. And then the second part, God's promise kept, Matthew comes onto the scene after 400 years of intertestamental silence, and Matthew said, here he is. There he is. Uh, This is the one. And so promise made and promise kept. And then the answer uh, to put all of this in context is what does the future hold? If God's the kind of God who keeps his promises, then what does the future Mm -hmm. hold? Well, there's really two different directions one can go. One can live in right relationship to God through faith in Jesus Christ, or one can live on their own autonomously, Mm. um, but they're living under condemnation and suffering uh, for eternity future. And so the the last two points are all things new Mm. and forever with God. We, God is making all things new. The kingdom is already and not yet. Um, We talk about inaugurated eschatology, right? right? Things are happening that are kingdom-oriented things here and now, Mm. uh, but it's not yet come in its fullness but all of the point of the storyline of Scripture, God's story, is because we were made to be with God. 
And wow. so that's where we want to point people, put the cross at the center of the whole storyline of Scripture and talk about how we were made in the beginning to be with God, and we have the opportunity in the future to be with God, and the key is being in right relationship to God through the gospel. What a great way to summarize the whole story of God. The, the biblical story gives us a handle, an easy way to think through that. What a great a great strategy. Thanks for being here and talking to us about that. Yeah, you bet. So next time you pick up your Bible, just look and ask yourself, where am I in the story of God and how does this connect with everything that's going on? So we appreciate that. Thanks a ton, George. You bet. 